So yeah, I had a big, uh, very big outline that I was going to bring, and the Lord just like told me, no, just listen to me, and then I ended up with that. <laughs> and while we were uh, while we were worshiping, the Lord took me back to something, and I just want to kind of share it before I go into what I, what I is burning in my heart and. And uh, before I even share it, I'm just going to pray again. And uh, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the friends that you have graced us with in this hour. I just thank you, Father, for a community of people, Lord, that want to honor you, that want to love your word, that want to love one another, Lord, that want to walk in a place of maturity, um, Lord, to be lovers of, of justice and mercy, to truly, Lord, be a living reflection in this hour. And in the midst of the storm, Lord, be pillars of hope. Lord, be pillars of truth. And I just, I thank you, Father, that you would have your way, Lord, in every single one of our lives. I pray, Father, that uh, just even as I share that things that you would have for each to understand, Lord, that you would highlight. And I thank you, Father, for just words of, of exhortation and comfort. And I thank you, Father, that your hand be, Lord, over our lives where we can truly be a, a an agent of change, ambassadors of Christ. And so, Lord, we bless you. We thank you for the privilege and honor of being before you. And I just thank you for this community. Lord, help us truly to not be shaped by the tools of men. And Lord, let this altar truly be shaped by the wind and the rain of your presence and your spirit. Lord, in a place where we are fit jointly together for the dwelling of your spirit. Lord, let nothing be before us that offends you. And help us to walk, Lord, in the fullness of the things that you have so freely given. In Jesus' name. When we were worshiping, I, uh, the Lord flashed me back to a, to a, a is, I guess you would call it a dream or a vision. I don't know, because it was like one of those things where I, I, uh, I kind of fell asleep. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. But it was a very distressful season of life, and... Um, I'm grateful for the friends that I have because a lot of the things in my, um, my understanding and my walk and journey with the Lord have been one where uh, there's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of backbiting, slander, gossip, and attack even amongst the body of Christ. And, you know, even in the place of just a genuine hunger and thirst for the knowledge of Jesus, um, it seemed to always run into gatekeepers who wanted to browbeat, attack, label, and accuse. And, um, you know, there's a place for addressing... Um, things that are wrong, and there's a place for calling things what they are. Um, but part of what I'm going to go into tonight is going to be a little bit difficult um, in regards to judicial discretion and prophetic vision. Um, and, I'll, and I'll explain what I mean by that as I begin to go into it. But um, this, uh, the season I was in, I was pretty much in financial duress, everything around me seemed to be falling apart, was bearing up underneath of responsibilities that seemed like everything was falling short, and this was after given the direction of the Lord to come down here. And there's some here, I think, who I've shared this with before, so sorry, you're going to have to bear with me on a repeat of it, but I, I want to highlight it before I go into this. Um, I got to a place of where just frustration and pain before the Lord, because the more I seemed to dig into the Bible and the Word, the more I began to kind of see through all of the arguments and different things that were constantly being thrown at me and presented to me that I had to hold on as being foundational. 
And so in frustration, one day I came home just exhausted after working multiple jobs and um, just was reading whatever amount of word I could in between things. And I just wept before the Lord, just said, what's wrong with me? And, um, you know, it was genuine heart cry. What, what is wrong with me? I, I don't get it. Why? Why? What is wrong with me? That's all I could say. <laughs> and um, I laid down, and it was like a, as soon as I hit my head hit the pillow, I was just out. And I went into this vision. And this vision was that I, I, was, I was standing in this kind of like a plane, and in the distance there was this huge glass cathedral that went into the heavens. And it went into the cloud line above where you could even see the top of it. And standing before me was a man dressed in white robes. And all these people were dressed in, in robes. And they had what I believe to be scriptures or Bibles in front of them. And they were all praying and burning incense. And, I, and this man was sitting on a stool and he was just talking to everybody. And, he, and I was kind of like, I wonder what he's saying. So I drew near, I drew close. And I began to hear... You know, they used to do these things. And this is what it was like back then. And they used to do that. And then they used to do this. And I remember in the dream, I began to get angered. And I just, I took my garments and shook them. It's, you know, it's like an Old, Old Testament type of thing. Shook my garments and I began to walk past everybody towards the cathedral that was in the distance. And everybody immediately stood up and said, you can't do that. What are you doing? You don't have, that's not your, it's not your place to be doing that. You don't have that right. And I just kind of like, you know, intimidated, but just kept on walking. And I walked up to the doors and the doors were these double doors with this old man's face, the big beard carved in wood, super elaborate. And I've been thinking to myself, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, I thought, in my heart, I knew this is like, you know, almost kind of like an image of Father God. I don't know. And I just felt, I put my hand on the doors and as soon as I touched the door, door opened wide. And I went into this cathedral and I began running up these circular stairs. I just began running and running and running and running and running. And I, I ran for I don't even know how long. It felt like an eternity that I was just running and just, just trying to get up to the top of this cathedral because I wanted to see what I could see. And uh, as I began to go and go and go and go, I finally got this feeling of like, where am I at? And... When I looked down, I could see all the way down, and then just boom, like an instant, I flashed, and I was right back out in the same spot with the same people. And I sat there, and I'm like, why am I here again? Why am I here again? And I sat there listening, and they were saying the same thing. They used to do this. They used to do that. This is what they used to do. The apostles were granted to do this. The prophets used to do that. And I remember just getting really angered and thinking, He's the God of the present, right? I shook off my garments, and when I began to walk, this time people really began to be violent towards me. And I just navigated the crowd, went through again, and walked up to the doors, and it was the same thing. Walked up to the doors, and I just put my hand on the doors. The doors opened wide to me. I walked in, but this time there was no staircase up. It was just this huge, open, vast expanse of, like, rooms with intricate designs, and there was just a few people inside walking around. And I remember walking in and thinking, where am I? Like, what is this place? What are people doing? Where is everybody? And I woke up from the dream. And 
It's one of many things in the junctures. My walk with the Lord is one in which he is not. I, I talk about some of these things, but I don't want anybody to be under the impression that it's something that, like I lived in constantly. It's something that's been probably 3% of my 20 years of walking with the Lord. And over the years, as the Lord has opened my eyes to a lot of things, there has been this strange realization of the necessity of truth and clarity of who the Lord is and his character, but also this just spirit of iniquity that's present to constantly cause a twisting of word and the intent of heart, and that there's these gatekeepers, and you can see, like, when, when you've spent time with the Lord, you can see it, but there is a necessity of a certain understanding of history. You know, a lot of people talk about the persecution of the Jews, but the Jews were just as proud. And they persecuted Gentiles, and they treated them like dirt. And many of them became bigots themselves, thinking them to be the special people of God. And where I'll highlight this is that the Messiah himself, the first thing whenever he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the, the enemy, um, when he passed those tests, he came out filled in the power of God. And the first thing that he did was he went in and he sat down in the temple in the place where he had grown up with favor with God and man. And he totally laid it all waste. <laughs> he sat down, he opened the scroll and said, you know, he wrote from the book of Isaiah and, he, and everybody knows it well and they quote it for, for differing reasons to highlight certain truths. But something that's always been ignored is, is the moment that he read it and they all kind of marveled, it says the grace upon his lips. The next minute he shifted and he said, I tell you there were many widows in the days of Elijah, but only the widow of Zarephath was healed. And I tell you that there were many lepers in the days of Elisha, but only Naaman was healed. And immediately at that statement, they rose up in wrath to drive him off a cliff. Now, does anybody understand as why that would provoke such a response? good. Yeah, and so, so this is taking a turn in a direction that I was not expecting, but it's going to tie into everything that I'm talking about because of uh, prophetic vision and judicial discretion, identity. You know, in regards to this, it was naturalistic and it was cultural identity, right? The pride was wrapped around, and we can see this as a major dividing factor in our present time. Extremely important to understand. So when I say things like, As I shared, I know there's some new people here. So in the past, I had some pastors in town excommunicate me for simply asking these questions. Where was Abraham from? 
Abraham from, was from Ur of Chaldee. Where was his wife from? She was from the same place. Where was Jacob from? Where was he born? What makes a person a Hebrew, an Israelite, or a Jew? Right, this is pertinent in our age right now. Everybody's offended and everybody's raging against one another over cultural identities and different things that uh, we have chosen to pit ourselves against one another even though we're all made in the image of God. Jacob got his wife from the same place. He sent him back to the land of Ur. Right? Where did Isaac get his wife from? The same place. When Joseph went into Egypt... Who did he marry? An Egyptian. And he married an Egyptian priest's daughter. You know, them cultic people who thought they were the gods of the universe. And so his sons Manasseh and Ephraim, right, had the mother who was an Egyptian. And so they continue to ask things like about, you know, the history and understanding genealogy and what these purposes were there for. And uh, I was already getting them riled up just by asking these questions for whatever reason. And um, because they thought I was talking about replacement theology or anti-Semitism or something like that. And so I just began to keep pushing the questions. And I said, you know, where, where was Ruth from? Anybody remember what she was? She was a Moabite. And this is going to tie into prophetic vision and judicial discretion, right? Does anybody know what judicial discretion is? It's a fancy term, but it's found all throughout the Bible. Um, and I hate fancy terms because people always think theological. <laughs> but um, judicial discretion is just when you sit in a, in a seat of authority and you have the decision as to bring forth the letter of the law and you have the ability to execute it where there's a certain sense of mercy offered or the fullest extent of the law is brought to bear upon an individual. And as the person who is actually wielding that authority, you would always dictate that upon the response of the individual. Right? It's contextual. It's not plain letter. It's contextual. So in the law, it says, no Moabite shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord to the 10th generation. Now, in this present time, and I've mentioned these things before, if, if we were to say something like, this certain people group can't enter in, <laughs> the firestorm that'll come from that, right? Uh, you want to talk about racial profiling? Was Yahweh guilty of racial profiling? Or is it, is it true that a culture can embrace idolatry and disgusting behavior in such a sense to where it becomes almost a common trait? To where when you do address it as a blanket statement, it still bears to be true, even though you know there are caveats or contexts in which not all people are like that. Right? So the Lord was not a bigot. He just knew their idolatry and knew how they raised their children and the abomination of the things that they actually taught them to do, which most of us are, are and I don't say this in a condescending way, but ignorant to. I was ignorant for many, many years until I started digging into it. But the point being was, what did Boaz know of the heart of God? And I know Charles was laughing the other day at me about giving commentary on the unwritten parts. Um, but as you spend years studying the word, you begin to ponder the things that are kind of in the cracks of the word. 
I'm sure there was many people who drew alongside of Boaz and said, man, don't you know what the law of God says? Says it plainly, man. There's no caveats. It doesn't matter whether she's nice or whatever. Look at all these women in Israel you have to choose from. And you're going to choose a Moabite? An offense to our father? But his testimony was that this woman was more virtuous than all of the women of Israel. And so even though the plain letter of the law said, no, no, that's not going to happen, he knew, no, that's not the heart of the father. No father would be like that. If this person is genuine, loves him, walks in truth, fears him, let her be redeemed. She became the great, great grandmother of the king of Israel, David. She became the great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. Now, I could give tons of examples of this all through the Bible, um, but I want to talk about one thing about veils. Like, Paul talks about a veil being over the conscience, and some of these things are spiritual. There are spirits that can affect you in a way to where you can read something and you just are totally blind even what you're reading. But there's also a thing that's a lens that's created by the philosophies, the traditions, or the doctrines of demons, or the traditions of men. All right, so like whenever Eve was told, you know, no, that's a tree good to make you wise. She ate it and it says, then she saw that the tree was good. So even the Bibles that we read where they have little things that kind of like tell you, this is what the theme of it is. So then you read that and then you start reading through the lens of the filter that they just placed upon you. Right, and so in our, our journey after Jesus, our love for Jesus, there's going to be a great wrestle of soul, <clears throat> and especially in this coming time. Now, I've talked about how I believe the nation, by the word of the Lord, is going to be restored, but not after a massive battle, and it's just now heating up. But there's some things that are extremely important for us to get so that we can actually restore things in righteousness. Like, what do we build? What do we do? Right? And coming back to this thing of identity... Fast forwarding and where I brought it to with these men when I was talking to them, I said, you know, what was the first message of John the Baptist? He said, don't even think to call Abraham your father. God's able to raise up children from these stones and even now the ax is being laid to the root. Meaning your cultural identity, being born and you can trace your house to Benjamin, doesn't mean anything other than that your faith and your love and humility towards the father. And he's able to raise up stones. So repent. And tell you what, the ecclesiastical authority of that day, you're going to have them seizures. Now, even the Messiah himself, and I'm not belittling, so don't take it that way, anybody who is, has a lineage that traces back to these things. But I've, one of the things that I've noticed is how Christians have a tendency to literally start functioning from the mindset that the cults of this earth function from, which is bloodlines. Jesus stood before the leaders of his day, and he said, I know that you're Ab Abraham's children. One translation says children, but it's offspring or seed, right? Direct descendant. But you're not Abraham's children. Sounds like a contradiction. Your father's the devil because you wish to do what he did from the beginning. You're a murderer and a thief. I mean, I don't know about you, but man, when, uh, when you know, the, the Jesus 
that I continue to read about in the Bible, man, just his, and I don't think he was speaking in any harsh way. I think it just his ability to just like cut right through the traditions and the nonsense and to just say it exactly like it is was the thing that just caused there's a spirit of iniquity in this age that wants to bind men under lies. And everything that the heart of the Father is after is your heart. And so coming to a place where we can ask the Father, one of the things I prayed for years and I still always pray, Father, remove the veils off of my mind. Lord, remove anything that would be the lens that I'm creating because I want to find what I want from the word. Because somebody presented an argument to me that I just need to win. Lord, help me to not be a stupid man and to seize a hold of one side of this and just become another empty crusader in the history of Christianity who literally thinks that he's the only one who has it and start laying waste to the other camps of my brothers. And so we're in a period of time, and I... And I, I I want to touch this because I, I know why the Lord steered me away from some of what I was about to go into, but it ties into everything. Because it, with the, what the Lord is doing right now, the powers of the ages, as you know, it doesn't take much to look around and see everything's being shaken. I mentioned in the past that the intelligence agency of the earth are a bunch of human traffickers. You know, every conspiracy you can think under the sun is going to be brought before our face. And some of the most evil and heinous crimes that are being committed in our land by occultists are all going to be laid bare. God's judging Babylon. So when the scripture says, come out from her midst and be separate, say it the Lord, you can't sit at the table of demons and be entertained anymore. You can't sit at the table of people who exalt and glorify lies and death and cheating and adultery and fornication and every evil thing and all of the perversions of our age. There is a war over the minds of men to destroy the image and the temple of God. And it's not so much about some antichrist sitting in a temple on the earth. You're the temple that he wants to sit in and declare himself to be God. And this is what I've seen with so many, as I've mentioned before, those within the church who literally seem like the most righteous crusaders. Some of the people that I saw demons come out of were literally standing behind pulpits preaching purity and righteousness and seemed to be zealous, spoke in tongues, blew shofars, danced around. I had some who literally tried to shut down speaking in tongues. I had others who tried to pin people against walls and force them to speak in tongues. And it literally made me live in shock and awe all the time. Like, what is going on? What am I even living in? What's, what, is, what is the truth here? But Jesus is the truth. He gives the answer to these things, and he helps us to navigate these things in wisdom when there's a, a, a portion of humility within us to just humble ourselves and continue to ask him to teach and to guide and to navigate through these things. So the... The thing throughout history, not only has cultural identity robbed us because it's the heart that the Lord is after, but there's been gatekeepers of truth that always want to, the, the people of God get a revelation and they build an encampment about it, they beat their drums, we've got it, we've got it, and then they become angry and resentful and bitter and trying to guard their little camp so that then they end up murdering the prophets that the Lord sends into their midst. And the cycle repeats itself over and over and over and over again. And as Jesus said, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. 
Is this saying that truth can't be known? Yes, it can be known, and the Lord desires us to have a clear understanding of the scriptures in a place of maturity to where we know the Bible like the back of our hand from Genesis to Revelation, and then, and even then, we submit to the fact that prophetic vision is unsearchable, so the individual application to each situation and how it applies to each living soul is so unique and so beautiful that we can never claim to just draw near to each situation and be like, I know what the answer is because the Bible says this. It's meant to be something where, Father, what are you saying in this situation? And yes, he leaves this cannot be done away with. Two things I've run into in community. I've run into the, the because people accuse me of being scholarly or cerebral or whatever, man. And the thing, the only reason why, I, I was the guy who cursed all the time and I don't even want to go back into that all the time. But even my pagan friends were like, dude, learn English. <laughs> Like, stop talking like that. And the Lord commanded me to start reading a dictionary. So I started reading a dictionary. And in the last 20 years, I educated myself, even though I was a drop, a drop out of everything. The point being is, is that the Lord can make us intelligent in our each own and unique way. And all of the scholarly wisdom of the age cannot stand against it. And he wants us to be in a place to where we have a knowledge of this word. I've been around Kabbalists and been around people who are into all kinds of forms of mysticism and things like that, and they always hide behind ambiguity. Well, you know, the scripture has this hidden truth and it teaches you this kind of thing, you know, and I'm like, well, it doesn't even kind of give any bearing to historical knowledge. And then they'll say, well, it's just because you're not initiated. Ah, so now I can hide behind ambiguity. You know, it's not really true history, bro. It's just kind of symbolic parables. So then I run across the other side, which is like super intellectual. Everything's about definitions of words, which are extremely important in this present time, and I'm about to show you why with a very horrifying video. And don't worry, I give disclaimer to this. You won't see anything bad. It's just a man talking. But what he talks about will horrify you. Coming to a place to where we tightly define things according to our own experience and literally build 21 volumes of commentary that gives more made-up language than the very Bible that you have to read itself presents a problem if you don't recognize it. And I'm sure most people probably here are not into that. Um, and I do believe that the Lord uh, grants teachers so we can learn from one another and there's nothing wrong with writing a book. But as it says in Jeremiah... <laughs> and I, you know, it's funny, I'm not even giving a disclaimer of that for Dave, but, um, but the, thing, the thing is, is that in Jeremiah, it says that the false scribe, the, the pen of the false scribe works diligently and fills the land with pollution. And so, you have these two extremes, right? It's the scholarly approach, it's the letter, that's what the Bible says, right? Bro, come on, Boaz. It says no Moabite shall ever into the assembly of the Lord. Boaz is like, I know it says that. But she's a righteous and virtuous woman. Well, you know, our, our, our New Testament scholars will be like, Paul said there's none righteous, no, not one. But Jesus said there was many righteous who desired to see this day. Right? contradictions that people love to just call mystery. They like to seize upon one scripture over another and they like to frame their little paradigm and then browbeat everybody else over with it. 
What I'm after in our generation, what I believe the Lord's after in our generation, is the ability to lay a hold of all of those things that look like contradictory statements and say, where's the balance, Father? And how do I humbly draw near my brother and sister in the Lord when they're going through difficulty and give a word that cuts away idolatry but speaks life, breath, power of Christ's resurrection? So the cultural identity thing is extremely important. And these ideas of veils that can be created by the things that we just accept, whether we really search them out or not. So, you know, Paul says something where he says, you know, for now the mystery has been made known by God that even the Gentiles are fellow heirs in Christ. That from the ages of old he intended and and wanted them to be co-heirs. And so the majority of our theologians throughout history always make it into be this dispensational thing that, yeah, so it was, you know, just the, it was from the time that Christ went to the cross that then the Gentiles were invited in. False. It's a lie. Go right back to the law and read the law, and the the Lord says that if the stranger sees that you're a wise nation and that you have good laws, hello, modern day church, Right, so if you exalt the law, man, it's just condemnation and people run away. The Lord's like, no, look, when they see that you're a wise people and you have good laws and they see my blessing upon you and they come, then they shall be what? They shall be na- as native born, brought into the household of God, adopted and treated as one. It was always true. The reason why it was made manifest is because the Lord had to raise up men and women to literally untie all of the knots of tradition and the lies and continue to, un- to pull back those things to help them to see. It was always the heart of the Father. So when he says now it's being made known, it's not that it wasn't there. It was in, it was in plain reading. But we have this thing all throughout Scripture, and I've been talking with some brothers about this, and some of these things, they get afraid. They're like, well... If we start talking about this, then people are just going to then pick and choose what they want and do what's right in their own eyes. I'm like, no, they won't. If they have a love of God and a love of Jesus, and they actually really understand to some degree who he is and what he's done for them, they're not going to want to abuse. They're not going to. Those who seek the word to justify their own sinful ways and actions, they don't have the love of God within them. They need to repent. But the reality of it is, is that all through my journey, this great wrestle has constantly been people throwing one side of it on me, the other side of it on me. Like one scripture says that God stirred up David to, to do a census. This is in Chronicles and in 2 Samuel. The other passage says that Satan stirred him up. It's like, you know, you got one camp over here, it's God who did it. The other camp's over here, it was Satan who did it. You know, and then it's the reality of it. And so you, you get this weird thing, too, with like predestination and election and all these other big pie-in-the-sky ideas that we try to lift ourselves up into the heavens to understand and to be able to think from that perspective. And it's very interesting to me because, yes, do I believe God is sovereign, but I also believe he's given man choice. So men don't always do things that God's ordaining. And so, why would the Lord allow? If, yes, did the Lord allow Satan, but why was Satan allowed to do it? There's the issue of testing, there's the issue of refinement, and then there's also the issue of where Satan can have access to somebody's life because of disobedience. 
So was it the Lord's original desire for David to do that? Like, we got to dig deeper beyond the surface of all of these things so that we can begin to understand the heart of God. I mean, it'd be really weird if the Lord's like, yeah, go ahead, Satan, make him do it. How dare you? Right? So this kind of stuff is all through the word, and, and there's things that we really get into very strange places. Like, let's, so if you've never been here before, we're not afraid to talk about controversial things. <laughs> In the law, it says you shall not speak with the dead. Plain and simple, don't speak with the dead. Jesus was speaking with Moses on the, the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, people say, well, he's, he wasn't really dead. I'm like, but he physically died, <laughs> okay? There's no way you can get around him. When you, when you read the Old Testament passage, there's nothing you're gonna get from that that tells you, well, those who believe in God never really die. That, you know, Jesus clarified that later on. But once again, the plain reading of the law would have led to believing that Jesus was talking with familiar spirits. Or let's, let's take the example of Joseph, right? In the law, and like I said, some of these things I'm saying, I'm just, I, the Lord told me to preach from the treasure of my heart, so that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm not gonna give you a 150 passages of scripture, because sometimes that's what I like to do, and it's like a fire hose, but. Um, so I challenge, you know, and hopefully everybody knows, and I continue to say this, is that uh, we invite challenge, and we want everybody to question everything, because your connection to Jesus is the only thing that saves you, not me telling you what you should think. I want to provoke. <laughs> Joseph, when he had the dream, and he was given the dream that, look, the child is in danger. Herod's going to kill the children. He was commanded to go to Egypt. In the law, it says you shall not return that way. Now, you want to talk about a dangerous thing to talk about, right? An angel shows up and tells him to do something contrary to what's in the law. Now, you can see how the enemy could abuse that very quickly, right? Because I've been around a bunch of Christians who claim to be being led by the Holy Spirit, and it turned out to be demons. And I don't say that to make you afraid, I say it as a reality check. <laughs> We're in a war. We need to test everything. We need to be humble before the Lord because he will protect us. But he knew the Lord well enough to be able to look past just the surface of text and say, I know your voice. This is a hard saying. But if for the sake of the life of the child, you're telling me to go, I go. So he goes. Now, any Orthodox who would have seen that, they probably would have stoned him before he even got to Egypt. <laughs> so, now he stays in Egypt, and I'm going to take this in some directions that are going to be a real strong challenge to, I don't know what your background is or what you have come to believe or understand about prophecy, because prophecy, to, to, to minimize prophetic and prophecy to the idea that I can read your mail and just like tell you about something that's happened in the past or know where your address was, um, it's, I'll be nice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a prostitution. Because the Lord can tell things, and he does things only when he's trying to get to the heart of men. So the prophetic word is extremely important, but it's never to be paraded around as some kind of grand wow. 
Look at what I can tell you about your past. Familiar spirits can do the same. So the prophetic life or prophetic vision has to do with connecting to the Lord in such a way to where his word is honored in such a way that you recognize it as life itself. He says it in Deuteronomy, this word shall be as life to you. What they did was was they separated it from the Father and they turned it into life itself instead of actually spending time with him in which when he taught and gave them understanding, it was coupled with this as boundary. But still, the boundaries, once again, have to do with the heart of God in context. Most Christians now, who always point their finger like a bigot about Pharisees always being bad people, they don't realize that Pharisees many times were trying to guard the word of truth against proselytes who were coming in and who were doing weird things with it and causing people to go off and do strange stuff. So they tried to set up boundaries to be protective measures. But it ended up being that they took away the key, as Jesus said, and you didn't enter in and you hindered others from entering in. Scary, right? You could be zealous to protect God's word and you could end up not entering yourself and hindering other people from entering in. That's really scary. And so I always pray for the Lord. I don't want to like shake people's faith in a wrong way, but I also want to challenge people's faith and the way that they seem to perceive or to understand things and how you speak and what you're doing. Most Christians are still functioning from the mindset that if they apply the law the way they think it is, they would arrest the ambulance driver who's speeding trying to save a life. Or they would say to the, you know, to the German who tried to hide a Jew, you're a liar. You may have saved a life, but you lied. You're a liar in the idea of God. And so I have people say all the time, well, then you could justify breaking any law because you say you're doing good. Once again, if you have a relationship with the Father, and you, because once again, everybody keeps talking about it's about relationship and not about religion, but yet they always come and approach this just like it's religion, and they actually, and once again, I have to say this again. I actually believe when the book of Revelation says that if you add to this, every plague will be added to you. If you take away from it, your name will be taken away from the Lamb's book of life. I don't believe in eternal security. I believe I got to walk humbly before the Father and cleave to him moment by moment. But some of the most arrogant people that I have dealt with, man, they are just rude badgers coming at you. Just like, this is what it says, bro. And I'm like, it says a lot of things, man. I love you. I love you, but as we go through the word, and I can show you so many examples of this, on shallow reading, right, it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? First John says that he who loves the world has not the love of the Father in him, right? Let's just isolate those two and be really weird with it. No, the reality of it is, once again, the deeper understanding of the heart of God. What does it mean when it says he loved the world? He loved every single soul. Every single soul who walks this earth, no matter how deviant, no matter how wicked, he desires them. But the system, cultural identities, all of these things that we find pride in and elevate ourselves against others and even affront to the kingdom of heaven, it is that love that if you have, you have not the love of the Father. And that, you want to talk about denominationalism in Christianity. I mean, I have been through so much dealing with greater Zionist, African Baptists, Pentecostals, Zionists, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, 
I mean, non-denominational. I'm not a denomination. I'm like, well, you're non-denominational, so that's a denomination. <laughs> it gets to the place of absolute craziness and silliness. And I'll tell you, what it ends up being is literally men who have exalted themselves in such a way to where, like the book of Judges says, that every man was doing what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. What makes our situation right now worse than of old is because we claim one king and yet every man's doing what's right in his own eyes. Now, the question is, considering some of the things that I'm telling you, a lot of the divisions are most likely friendly fire. Right? They're trying to stand for like a plain reading of one aspect of the scripture, but then when you read them another, well, you got, there's a deeper understanding. Well, I know, but there's a deeper understanding of the scripture I just read to you. The Lord says, unjust weights are an abomination to me, but a just weight is my delight. Right? In business transaction, they used to have this thing as a deceptive stone. They could counterweight the balances so that whenever you came and you weighed your gold and silver, they could end up taking more from you than was, was really rightfully theirs. So in the same way as a pastor or a shepherd or a teacher or anybody, they can come, they want to have their way, they want to make sure they're right, they only present their side of the argument. Denominations and creeds, I sat, I sat with a guy, Westminster, catechisms. I mean, he went off. Every single point of Calvinism he's laying out with his Westminster catechisms, 20 scriptures per point. And he's like, mic drop moment. Yeah, you don't believe that? <laughs> and I'm like, but the scripture also says this, this, and this, and this. And, well, but you, do, you, but you gotta be careful how you apply. I'm like, why does the careful only apply to me? Right? When somebody said, well, Joel Osteen's such a heretic, and I'm like, I don't like a lot of stuff he says, but I'm not going that far. Here's the deal. You exalt Luther all the time. That man literally called Jews restive dogs. He started a war by banging literally a couple scriptures on a door. Okay? He did a commentary in the book of Romans that ignored entire passages. And you guys defend him tooth and nail. But when it comes to our modern pastors who literally seem to ignore certain scriptures, you just make an excuse for them. So, it's tricky to not be a hypocrite, right? So, and I'm saying this to some friends because I'm very patriotic. I believe the love of Jesus, and it, it, like Paul said, oh, that my own countrymen would be saved. My own country is going to be seized back by the kingdom of heaven and the hearts of men are going to be turned and swayed and we're going to watch the powers of the ages crumble before our eyes and the wicked be no more. I believe that. But as I listen to the squabble of the patriots who all claim to be Christians, they're like, all these people, they're lawless. We need law and order in the land. You're right, we do. But then we're like, well, but when you come to Jesus, it's not about law. Oh, Okay. So they're saved from a land of lawlessness to come and be lawless and be okay. And all of the lawlessness you're angry at, now you're making it okay over here. What are we doing? What are we being saved unto? I keep asking the question to different ministers I'm around. Scripture says that when your obedience is fulfilled, then you can punish all disobedience. But nobody believes obedience can be fulfilled. If you are walking in righteousness and holiness and purity, which does have to do with your actions and your faith and trust in Jesus, 
If you are walking in truth and righteousness, I'm talking the heights of heavens, you walk amongst the fiery stones you receive of the mysteries of God, you are willing to draw near to the most wicked of people and let them speak, let them finish their words, let them have and express their ideas, even if they vent hatred towards Yahweh, you're able to have the exchange. It's really easy to preach from a pulpit and just... But when you're in the world and you're dealing and talking with people all the time and letting them have honest feedback, it's a whole other thing. Some of the subjects I'm bringing up, I want to bring up because we have a culture right now. I have children that are saying things to me that are absolutely insane. I won't go into all of it. But they are, I mean, I have, I have a seven-year-old kid who's like, God killed Lot's wife. <laughs> I mean, that's harsh. And I'm like, well, who, when did you read that? He was like, well, it was like I was in school and we talked about it. He's like, so, I mean, she walked out, she left, and she just looked back and he just killed her. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty perceptive, yeah. <laughs> I said, did you, did you get to ask the question to the teacher? Like, try to talk through, like, why? Like, the nature of God's justice, like, what was going on in the land and, you know, how much of it in a front it was to actually want to go back to something that was so idolatrous and so wicked? So I'll tell you, the problem is, is that we don't have it even in our colleges. Our colleges are literally infiltrated by CIA and FBI. You think that's a joke? I'll give you the documentation of it. They've been trying to delude our teachings for a long, long time. They have programs and operations that are entirely dedicated to the psychological operations of the church. Not a conspiracy, right in our face. And I've gotten to the place before the Lord where I'm beginning to see, like, you know what? As I look at the arguments that are continually being presented by the world, and then I listen to the things, like I, I, as an example of this, we don't believe in original sin in this house in the sense that you're born corrupt. That makes us a heretic in most places. I don't care. If you're offended by it, actually don't slither away throwing accusations. Come to the table and let's discuss it. Let's talk from Genesis to Revelation and have the discussion as to why we don't believe that. But my point is, is this, everywhere, we were born in sin, we're sinners by nature, we're this, we're that, we're, you know, it, this is just a fact. But then I asked the pastor, well, then how can you say the homosexual isn't born a sinner? How can you say they're not born homosexual? Oh, well, that's different. I'm like, how is it different? Come on, you can be born a liar, you're a liar by nature. So the homosexual can't be homosexual by nature? total meltdown and nothing but accusations that I get when I ask those questions. See, I do believe people can be sinners by nature in the sense that they choose it. They're born into a culture that identifies with it. They practice it. It becomes so ingrained, it is their nature. All of us at one point. Children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians. I bring up these things, though, because I have children who say things to me like this. And as I listen to the arguments of the world, and I listen, especially when it comes to end times. You want to talk about climate cult? Man, our end times teachers have been pretty much the climate cult spirits of the age. And I wonder how, like, we're looking for everything to go to hell in a handbasket, and then we all fly away. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I believe we were meant to be here, to ride through the storm and to be an anchor and to see the restoration and transformation of all things. 
and that all his enemies will be made his footstool, and then he shall return, as it says, and that all things that were written by the prophets will be restored, and that in that day he's actually going to gather the kings of the earth and throw them into prison, that in that day he is going to pull away the veil that has been over all of the earth, and we're going to see clearly. I've talked about these things many times, and I want to reiterate them. Because the nature of what we got with prophecy is something that makes void so many promises of the Lord that it's insane. The Lord promised to bring down Babylon and to lay it waste in the eyes of the nations, to expose the shame of her nakedness. And I'm telling you, that is what's coming. If you think Balenciaga is something that's horrific and most people just don't even want to look at it and you got all of the Hollywood cult pedophile cannibals trying to explain it away... When I use those terms, people have mocked me, and I'm going to tell you what, vindication will come, because these lying, thieving, murderous thugs who have run our nation and who have run our institutions in Hollywood that everybody loves to be entertained by, their shame of their nakedness is about to be exposed, and the cry of heaven is, come out from her midst and be separate, saith the Lord. Ba-len-si-aga in Latin means do what you want. They're Crowleyan warlocks, like I've been saying for so many years, that our corruption is filled with warlocks. And these aren't people who are just new age, who are like, man, bro, I can see your aura. Man, you've got the purple aura and all that beautiful stuff going on in your life, man. You just, no, that's the new age guy that I like to buddy up to. These people are arrogant, lying vipers. You can't trust anything that comes from the word, their mouth because they will turn around and stab you in the back. Everything that they do is lie. They were born into lies. They perpetuate lies. The entire apparatus of our media has been controlled by it and our theological institutions. And I want to emphasize the church. There's things that are not right, and I'm bringing up the balance of the word as something that has to be at the forefront of our conscience in this period of time. Is it contradictory to want justice to rain down a bunch of, upon a bunch of people who have trafficked humans, have murdered, while all these hypocrites are talking about Kanye and literally how he's an anti-Semite? They're all taking money from China while their people are being slaughtered and their, their organs are harvested. There is a group of Khazarian mafia and people who claim to be Jews who are, as Mel Gibson said, and got called an anti-Semite. He got called a crazy lunatic because he said these people thrive upon torture, pain, fear, and anger, and the blood of children is their caviar. These people function from a mindset that you can't even begin to fathom. And the enemy has so brainwashed every single one of us. It goes back. My mother has been having a meltdown over this stuff because everything she held dear is falling to the ground. Disney was always an occultic pedophile empire from its inception. And our intelligence agencies were involved in it because they have perfected the art of psychological manipulation and it's tied into all of their occultism that's based in fear, trauma, and deception. These things sound so outlandish to most people, but I'm telling you, you have no clue what's coming. Balenciaga is the epicenter of all of the human trafficking of the earth and all of the people like Luke Nyungard and Lex Wexner and the billionaires of the earth who had their own islands where they escorted in. They didn't just sleep with children. That's the distraction. Yeah, so... All of these trafficking networks, they basically use 
modeling agencies from New York and California and from different places in Europe. And they bring in young women and children. Some children are brought from other countries where they're born where they have no birth certificate and there's no way to trace them so they can use them for their ritual abuse and there's no tracking them. But they, they bring in women from all over the globe with the promise of actually being you know, models and rising to the top of the entertainment industry only to find themselves in a cult that brands them like cattle, extorts them, and uses all of the dirt and information on their life to continue to control them. It's all over. CIA, FBI, all these people, I'm about to show you something in a moment that I want you to think about when I say this. And I'm going to come right back to prophetic vision and judicial discretionary, judicial discretion. But I want you to think about this. The intelligence agencies of this nation were able to trace down every conservative, every Christian who differed in thought with them, hunt them down, shut down their private messages, close their accounts. Every corporation in America went along with this garbage and they're all involved in it. Nike, all of these people that we, we hold so dear, there's, there is Hollywood stars that were entertained by all of their little Santa movies and things like that. You're going to find out they're occultic pedivores. As you can tell, it puts a firestorm. You have no idea what I have endured through decades of trying to call it out and to expose it and to pray about it. But the whole thing with Epstein that's still sealed, that's going to be unsealed, and we're going to see the, ex the exposure of all of these networks, that's just one little tiny part of the entire thing. These people are bloodletters. They have used all of the organ harvesting and, and everything from abortion, all of these institutions, they're funneling money, everything in Ukraine, all of the bio labs that we talked about two years ago, that's just the tip of the iceberg. They're funneling all of our money over there. They're running it into crypto exchanges. They're laundering it back, and they're using it to fund their war against us with our money. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. But guess what? Jesus has a standard to raise up against all of this, and it's already been in the works. Most don't see it, but it's in the works. And these people are all going to be held accountable. But this nation has had to endure this because we have been so asleep that when you have whistleblowers and people who've been crying out about this for decades and saying, this is Babylon, these people are Molech worshipers, these people are Satan worshipers, these people are evil. Oh, brother, that's just being silly. I've been in church after church after church. We're supposed to be praying for the salvation of men, contending that the gates of heaven would storm hell, that we would actually see children saved from these idolatries and these abominations, that we would see an entire generation raised up out of Babylon, only to be told, oh, that's just all, man, we're, you know, that's just heavy stuff. We don't need to talk about that, bro. Let's just talk about how Jesus is nice, because that's what people want to hear. You know what I found out, the dirty little secret? That that's actually not true. Most people want to hear the truth. I have little children who talk about bestiality to me. Because they're on TikTok and their parents aren't paying attention. This crazy radical man behind the pulpit is a, is a teacher. I teach little kids. And I am at war with everything that I am learning about. Our systems of education have been infiltrated by communism. They're meant to dumb down our children. Our waters have been poisoned. Our food has been poisoned. All of the same people who are running this stinking show, they have literally removed every single truth and labeling law so that everything that they put in their mouth, their candies, you want to read literally what the side effects of, of all of these food colorings are? It looks like a list of what's in Galatians about the sins. Wrath, mental illness, depression, rage, anger. I'm like... 
what is this? It's like chemicals that literally make our children possessed like hell. And then we're like, well, they've got behavioral disorders. Give them another pill. Let's, let's, let's put an identity on them they never feel like they can get out of. And so I don't care if I'm the guy who literally rages against all forms of psychology. There's good psychology, but just like vaccines, vaccines were hijacked a long time ago. The blood of the innocents is in it. They're putting animal DNA in your body. I could go on and on and on. People are like, no, that's not true. I'm like, how do you know? They have no liability. They've bribed all of our politicians. Everybody's bought into it. You just went through a psychological operation in which a man-made virus was released. It was not deadly. It literally mass murdered most of our family members, not by, and when I say this is personal to me. So if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, you know, I've been through trauma with this, man. Be careful what you speak. I lost people in my family because of this. And their COVID-19 is mild. Where did the flu go? The CDC has had to admit all of this. They had to say, oh, yes, comorbidities after the comorbidities were wiped away. Guess what? It was only 6%. 6%. Do you know that Dr. Anthony Fauci, under deposition, admitted that everything he told the entire nation was a lie and not based on science after he told us that it was all science? Do you know that these men, they had studies and they were co-authors of the studies of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and they knew for 40 years it was used in Africa in our military that it cures all forms of COVID strain and the flu and influenza. And they shut it all down. And they funneled money into Ukraine to study, for, for FTX to fund studies to tell us that it was bad for us. Then they put upon us a vaccine that was not approved, FDA, everybody's lying about it, it was never approved. And guess what? The very thing that they said hydroxychloroquine does to the heart, that's what the vaccine does. Bill Gates is a mass murdering pedophile eugenicist, and his day is coming. Soros is marked. All of these people who have inflicted this pain and misery, we're going through what we're going through because we have remained ignorant, but the Lord is merciful. And the message that I want to give of this, especially when I play what I'm about to play, I keep saying it, is if this doesn't put the fire in your bones to fight for your children, I don't, there's no hope. What I want you to understand is all of the intelligence agents of the earth were protecting these kinds of people that I'm about to show you they let them flourish. They let them have their way. So, Chris, if you can cue that up, because then I want to go back into prophetic vision, and I'm, I'm going to bring my message to a hopeful end. <laughs> and I, I won't, this is a disclaimer. This is disgusting. If it doesn't disgust you, I don't know what will. Aloha, everyone, and welcome back to The Purpose. I'm Josiah G. Mizukami, your true Messiah of Earth, a God in human form and a healthy one. I wanted to give this video to everyone as a wonderful gift to continue this infinite journey that we have together as one cosmic family. Pedophilia in itself is completely righteous. It is harm-free. Zoophilia is talking about an attraction between human beings and animals. And these types of relationships can be just like a relationship between a man and a woman, something loving and completely natural. The cures to the global pandemic, which is a direct result of people on this planet not doing what I asked them to do, not doing what the gods and I have asked them to do. Those people have to correct themselves or they will continue 
to be sick. They will continue to be weak to things like the coronavirus, which I knew I would not catch. I'm immortal. I'm invincible. And it's the love that maintains that truth for me. Bring the Holy Spirit to match the types of things that oh, hey, hey, babe, my mom is calling. My mom's calling. I don't, I don't want to get in trouble. I got to answer, okay? Well, why would you get in trouble? Because oh. I got to answer. Okay, yeah, go for it. Okay, I'll wait for you. Okay, I'll message you, okay? Okay. I have a beautiful relationship. I have three girlfriends. They're wonderful. One of them is 13. One of them is 14. They love me. It's a beautiful, wonderful, and sexual in the completely harm-free definitions way of living. Having a sexual attraction to children. So that is actually right. not denoting anything negative at all. It's just saying sexual attraction. That's not, that's not denoting anything negative at all, sexual attraction to children? Absolutely not. You can actually look up what sexual means, which is so uh, beautiful. The definition here, it says, uh, the definition of sexual is relating to the activity of sex. Wonderful. Okay, relating to the definition of sex. Do you have the definition of sex? The activity of sex. Absolutely. Well, I mean, again, I... And for one thing, your statement is actually false, that all people actually view pedophilia with the same definition. I'm talking about sex with children. Do you mm -hmm. think that's okay? You'd have to define what you're actually defining as a child in five the United States. Okay, five years old. Five years old. Absolutely. Like if a, if a five-year-old says yes to something like this, like if an adult says, "Hey, do you do you want to try kissing or do you want to try touching?" and the five-year-old says yes, do you think that should be legal? Yes, absolutely. If the five-year-old says yes then they are actually okay. giving their democratic vote, and that is their right. Anyone and everyone of every age and any species can make whatever loving choices they want with whoever wants to make those choices with them, so long as they're harm-free and they have my love support. That's pretty fucked up. <laughs> uh, really. Fucked up in what definition? You mean negative or positive? Negative. Surely you must know how much trauma and uh, ho horrific things people have to live with. We both know that a five-year-old can't be sent to a sexual... Uh, a five-year-old makes their own choices. Uh, can I ask, are you a pedophile? Yes, I am, absolutely. Have, have you engaged in sex with a minor? Yes, I've had sex with people that are under 18. How, okay, like, uh, and definition, would that be a penis inside of one of their orifices? Yes, absolutely. It was beautiful okay. and loving and, have, and completely harm-free. And you have a child? I do have a son, yeah. And if a, if a 65-year-old man uh, went up to your child and asked if he could have sex with him, uh, and, your kid, and your child said, yes, sure, not knowing what it was, you would be absolutely fine with that? They both agreed, of course, I would absolutely support it. And I would actually well, be how committing... How old is your son? Well, he's five months old right now. Wow. Thanks, Josiah. All the best. Absolutely. Hope uh, authorities catch up with you soon. Bye. I am the true authority with the gods with me, brother. That's why. Recognize how dangerous it is to perpetuate how long. You can stop that. Sorry you had to endure that. If you think that horrifies you, you have no idea that. I want to emphasize this to you. That is very mild in comparison to what it is that I've been seeing.
There are those that literally see themselves as superior species and gods that believe that they have the right to even consume you, just like I have the right to consume a deer. So I know it's heavy. Scripture says that when vileness is exalted amongst the sons of men, the innocent are made prey. It says the dark places of the earth are filled with the haunts of cruelty. And Steve Bannon was recently talking about the Border Patrol agents to pray for them. Because men who are some of the most trained and some of the most hardened men who have dealt with all kinds of criminal behavior that what they see of the abuse of children on our borders is so horrific it causes some of them to commit suicide. They lose hope. See, I, I was one who always sought, like, I, I was, when I was young in the Lord, I, I, I had a season where, like, the Lord just was like, shut everything out. You know, focus on me. Just, just love me. Spend time with me. Renew your mind because I was once an, a disgustingly lawless man. And that season was necessary. And, and so when, I, when I'm talking about these things, the thing that I want to encourage you guys with is, is that not everybody's meant to take on these things head on. But we can't be ignorant of it. You have to understand this world is way darker than what we've been told and yet there's a light shining in the darkness. But there are men just like that who are functioning in the walls of the churches who say they love Jesus. As I said, most of the people that I saw delivered of demons were preaching from the pulpit purity. And they were engaging in deviant and wicked behavior. We've got to come to a place of a love for justice. Jesus demands law and order. You know, in the book of Hosea, he said, the reason why I won't punish the daughters for harlotry is because the priests themselves are given to it. You know, everybody talks about the issues of Jesus and mercy, right? The adulterer. But I've, I've brought this up before. When it comes to judicial discretion, do you understand what it would like to be a judge who has to say, you have some man who committed a horrible crime, and he comes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? Our superficial reading, you gotta forgive him 70 times seven. Bible says forgive him. And that judge says, you seem genuine, sir. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. And that man goes back out and hurts another child. To bear that upon your conscience, you see, in this battle of the ages over truth and over your mind and your allegiance, either to Satan or to Jesus, the battle has always been, is God good? We say it, but Jesus is fierce too. You think he's not concerned with this kind of stuff? Do you think that it would be right for a culture to say, you know what, your law says if these things are done, they're to be put to death? People say to me, Jesus doesn't believe in the death penalty. I'm like, Ananias and Sapphira lied in the book of Acts and their life was taken from them. Book of Revelation, he says to the church, you're committing adultery and you won't repent, I give you time, therefore I'll kill you with death. 
Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, when, when we're concerned with justice, the Lord will be concerned with justice, but only when we do it from the place where we're not living as hypocrites. So the question is, is once again, can you live in a place of holiness and righteousness practically? Not, not the idea that you're told all the time where you're just seen as pure no matter how you live. But this comes to, once again, a place of judicial discretion. You see, people say to me, well, but, you know, they've got to know the love of God. And I'm like, don't you understand the same cross when we gaze upon Jesus crucified? That the same Jesus that melts the hearts of men is also the same Jesus that sometimes hardens. Because they look at that mercy shown and they're like Cain and his son Lamech. God showed mercy to me, you won't touch me. And if a man touches me, I'll kill him. They take the grace of God for their own vantage. So the same thing that might melt your heart, you see, he died for me, he loves me. I mean, if one died for all, then all die for one. The other says, yeah, he died for me, and therefore you can't judge me, because we're all imperfect. See, when the Father says, you know what, I'm going to bring a judgment, right? He wants all of us to love him from the place of sincerity and truth, right, which is like, we love him because he's good. He's right. He's awesome. It's all of the things that we're learning about him. But imagine being in the position. You show mercy to one, and a whole gang of rebels see it as weakness. Like, see, he won't do anything about it. But if you bring the hammer down, he's not just. But yet, you know, as I had a conversation with another man the other day, I want the wicked in our land to fear. I want that man we just watched to fear for his life. There's a reason why the same Jesus who gave the law, he said, those who do such things, you shall put them to death that the rest may hear and fear. In the place of judicial discretion, we have the ability to make decisions before the Father where it's not according to the letter. Somebody could do a heinous crime and they genuinely pour out their guts and say, I, am, I, I recognize what I've done. Please have mercy upon me. And we have the ability commissioned by heaven to say, you're forgiven and we want to give you a new beginning. But with the same breath, we're commissioned to be able to say, no mercy. Right? People say, well, but Jesus said, blessed are those who are merciful. For he doesn't show mercy, will be shown no mercy. Right? But you know, the same Jesus in the book of Mark, he actually rebukes them and says that you say that korban, that when a man gives a gift to his parents, it's actually a gift to God. And that those who rebel against their parents and don't honor their parents, they should be put to death. You know, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for not upholding the law. I challenge you to look that up. It's Gospel of Mark. The same Jesus we serve rebuked them for not upholding the law and putting a man to death. But then the same Jesus, when they confronted him about the adulterer because they were manipulating the law, they're liars, and they were doing it for their own political clout, once again, the administration of the law only came from their own selfish desire to hold on to authority. He said, you're forgiven, mercy for you. 
You know, I asked the Lord, and I shared this before. You don't have to believe this because this was a vision. It's not written in the Bible, and it's just coming from me. But I prayed and said, Lord, what did you write? You wrote two things. And he, this, the scriptures that he showed me and gave me were from the law. One says, you shall stone the adulterer as well as the adulteress. And the other says, you shall show no partiality within the law. They drugged that woman. Where was the man? And they were challenging Jesus because they didn't like the authority he wielded. And the people were listening to him and going after him. So he has authority. And all of the people are now listening to him. What do we do? Let's trap him because he says he came to honor the father's law. Let's trap him with this woman. So Jesus was not going to be a part of bringing forth corrupt justice. But let me tell you what he will be a part of is bringing forth blind justice, true justice, one that's not partial, one that says, you want your nation cleaned up? See, a lot of people are praying, Jesus, change things. It's like he's just going to zap the Dominion voting machines, and he's just going to like, all the corrupt politicians are just going to all line up and be like, yeah, we sold our souls to China. <laughs> uh, I think we'll go now. No. The confrontation of the ages has come in which now that we know, I want you to understand, 70% of our government is corrupt. All right? What Greg Phillips and Catherine Albrecht went to prison for was because they exposed, and the mainstream media is still trying to black it out, they exposed that the Chinese spies were working with Konek and that they're taking all of our information and sending it out to the same interesting lab where a lot of the COVID-19 gain of function was happening, Wuhan. We're surrounded by traitors who sold their souls, who would sell us out, and who do not care about us being rounded up, destroyed, and killed. When you... I know I'm going long. You guys are used to me going long, right? <laughs> uh, because I want to pray for the children here in a moment. That's what this is going to be about. And praying for prophetic vision, discernment, and judicial discretion for our generation and for our pastors to have the stupid slapped out of them. And I say that I speak that for myself as well. Anything that doesn't belong, bring the raw, drive it out of me, Lord. I want to be a voice of reason, a voice of balance, a voice of truth. You know, when Paul the apostle spoke, he approached educated kings who knew all of the laws and the customs of the Jews. And when he spoke, it says that Agrippa feared and was like, much learning is driving you mad. And Paul's like, no, I speak the words of truth and reason. The Lord is not a respecter of persons. And if I have to hear another person say, well, I'm not like you. I don't have the same anointing or I don't have. The Lord promised that wisdom to every single one of his children to have clarity. And I'm not saying we're all going to be the same. We're all going to articulate different according to our experience. But we've got to come to a place where we begin to recognize the nature of justice and law, the administration of law, right? I've been saying this for literally years now here from the pulpit, like, you know, even like the, the washings, we're like, oh, it's all a bunch of religious stuff. And I'm like, you go to a restaurant where they don't enforce the laws for you to wash the plates and see how you like that, all right? The religious spirit always takes laws and twists them into something they were never meant to be, and then we reject the whole thing altogether, and I'm like, yeah, you go where they're actually not using the hand washing after the bathroom and go eat their tacos. <laughs> Come on, man, wait, a little bit of humor right in the middle of all of this heavy stuff. 
But it's the truth. There's things, you know, all along my journey in every denomination is either like lawlessness. Law doesn't have any application. It's just about faith, and that's just lip service in their mind. The other side is like, well, we need to go back to uh, wearing my talith, and, and I've got to, you know, I've got to go through certain days and rituals and honor certain things. We have been so robbed and plundered, and I say that of myself. We've been so robbed and plundered, man, of the deepest and the most beautiful, profound applications, both spiritual in the sense that it's deep, it's deep, but yet practical. And it's these things. So the the call that I'm I'm calling us to, all of us as a body, is a, a, we we talk about honoring the word all the time, and I'm saying, man, hunger hunger, like not, not satisfied hunger, like a, a Lord, I want to be able to understand how to take what it is you're saying, not only as a practical application in my life, but to see the world around me through the proper lens. And so this, this thing of like, when we go back and everybody's offended, like I have kids asking me the questions about like, well, they commanded them to die under the law. And I'm like, yeah, well, you go into the college institutions, they don't tell you, but these people chopped up their own children and put them in the walls to literally protect them from evil spirits. So they buried them in the ground so that the god of fertility would help their crops grow. So we don't understand the nature of the evil. There's been a reason why it's been kind of like veiled and pulled back from our eyes, right? Just be, you, you remember that, um, what, what movie was it? I think it was, because uh, I haven't watched movies. There's, there's only one that always stands out in my mind because it was a long time ago. Is Lord of the Rings. Remember that Grimer warm tongue? <laughs> Remember that king sitting in his throne and he's kind of like decrepit? It just doesn't feel good, right? That's like us many times, like sitting on our throne. Jesus gave us a throne. You're enthroned in the heavens. You're a priest, a prophet, a living sacrifice. All of heaven is literally watching and marveling over what the Lord has done in your life. You're able to weather the storms of the hatred of demons, the hatred of men, the wars and famines, the raging of propaganda and media, and you still say, Jesus is good. And all of the angels marvel. All of the wisdom of heaven, as it says, that this is the point, that even the wisdom of heaven, the variegated wisdom of God, will be made known to the principalities and the powers of the ages. But we sit on a throne, we're like, yeah, this will feel good. <laughs> yeah, and Grimer Warm Tongue comes along, and he's like, yeah, you're weak, king. No, you don't feel good. It'd be better to just be comfortable. You can't take on their odds. And I'm not condemning comfort. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, sought comfort. So, the hour that we're in, I'm going to read something to you. I've been preaching from my heart, but I'm going to go to a scripture here for a moment. And Jeremiah, let's go to chapter 30. And let's start in verse 18. I would encourage you to read all of these passages, and I'm going to bring up just a few more things of prophetic vision that I want you to consider. And then we're going to enter back into worship, and we're going to pray for the children of our generation. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 18. It mentions a lot of things in regards to judgment, captivity, and some of the difficulties that are taking place. But he says, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tent, I will have mercy on his dwelling places. 
The city shall be built upon its own mound, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Then out of them will proceed thanksgiving. In the voice of those who make merry, I will multiply them, and they shall not diminish. I will glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who has pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? For you will be my people, and I'll be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind, and it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, until he has performed the intents of his heart. And in the last days, you will consider this. At the same time, says the Lord, I will be God of all of the families of Israel. They will be my people. And the people who have survived the sword will find grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, for the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, I have loved you with everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you, and again I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines, and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. For you shall plant vines on the mountains of Samaria, and the planters shall plant and let the ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchmen will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion. To the Lord our God. Now, I would encourage you to continue to read. There's a lot of amazing promises. And I just want to boo-hoo and shout down all those who are like, well, that just applies to Israel. Because I've had a bunch of theologians try to tell me that all the time. I'm like, we are the Israel of God. We are grafted in. We're a Jew. One whose Jew is not from men, but from God. That's actually what it says in Romans. They translated it, whose praise is not from men, but from God. The term praise is a Jew. The, this is not replacement theology, this is being grafted in. We're of the heavenly Jerusalem, that which is born from above. I want to say this again because this is the direction that we're going to go, and I'm asking you to pray for me because the Lord has given me a treasure trove of understanding and knowledge, and I actually want to spend some time to really write. Um, not to create theology, but really just questions that everybody can actually press in asking the Lord themselves and really search through it. Just kind of a structure and outline. I don't want it to be a lens. I don't want it to be something that you're like, well, man, Elijah said that, so let me go say it. No. I want you to just look at the questions, search through, and spend time before the Lord. But the issue of the prophetic spirit, this is the last thing I'll close with. We have been told so much about like foretelling and things like that, and that's important, and I believe the Lord's even allowed me to say some things are coming, and we're watching them come to fruition. But all those things don't matter. It's love that matters, and I believe we're entering into a period of time, too, where the Lord doesn't care for titles and all of the garbage that men have put on things. As it says in, in the prophets, in that day, they'll say, you know, are you a prophet? And he'll say, no, I'm a tender of sycamore fruit. <laughs> and then they'll say, what are these wounds with which you're wounded in your hands? He says, these are the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. All right, the place where we get destroyed the most by our own brethren. But... The nature of prophecy, we keep being told so much about forthtelling, and that's why I think so many people are missing the point and really misunderstanding a lot of things. And I've talked about this before. 
but I just want to ask a couple questions, and you guys can go to the scriptures and begin to, this is a key that I'm giving you, and you can come to the door and put your hand on, you have access yourself. The Lord's the teacher. All of the rules of contextual rendering, hermeneutics, eisegesis, and all these things that have been put in place to protect the integrity of the word, um, they're okay. Understanding context, historical context, understanding all of these things is extremely important. But once again, those are the kinds of rules that Pharisees put in place that took away the key of knowledge. They didn't enter in themselves, and they hindered others from entering in. What I mean by this is like, so in the Gospel of Matthew, the, the story that I mentioned about Joseph being told by the angel to go into Egypt, right? It's a direct violation of the law. But yet he knew the heart of the father and the context was to save his child. So he said, if it's for the purpose of saving my child, then obviously the father knows what he's talking about. So there's a direct breach of the letter of the law. But whenever Herod dies, the angel visits and tells him and he comes back and it says that out of Egypt, that it may be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. I ask most people, where does that come from? And the answer is Hosea. Hosea, when you read the passage, it actually says, out of Egypt I called my son, and then he starts talking about Ephraim, my dear, my firstborn. He starts talking about his love for Ephraim. So when you go back to Hosea, the context, it's not saying, in that day, the Messiah is going to come out of Egypt, and you know, it'll say, out of Egypt I called my son. It's not pointing to, it. there's nothing in the text that tells you of a future event. Nothing, not even a hint. If you sit down with a, a rabbinical rabbi and you present that to him, he'll say, yeah, the New Testament authors, they were misusing the scripture because according to eisegesis and hermeneutics and exegesis and all these rules that we have for understanding historical context, where that comes from is the book of Exodus chapter four. In Exodus chapter four, Moses is sent before Pharaoh and he strikes down his animal and says, let my children, let Israel, my firstborn, Go. So the rabbi can simply say to you, the author is an error. That's why we don't believe in the Messiah. And that scripture directly relates to the historical context of God calling Israel his son out of Egypt. Now, this causes some people to melt down. I'm just going to warn you. Because <laughs> I've had a pastor, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm like, not saying what you think I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, the reality of it is, though, is, is that all of this anger and resentment that comes back, backbiting and biting one another about the proper use of Scripture, we need to know the truth, and we need to know this well. We need to know Him. We need to be connected to Him in such a way to where we can give answer for some of these things. And as I begin to unlock that view, I just want to, the whole New Testament abounds with this kind of thing. Once I show it to you, I've never had a person walk away from me and go, I've never really seen that anymore. No, they, you see it everywhere. Like whenever it says, right, and when Judas betrayed Jesus, it says that he who lifted up his heel against me betrayed me, right? It says that it may be fulfilled. Go back to the passage. It's relating to actually Saul rising up against David. There's nothing in the historical context that talks about a future event. It has only to do with the persecution of David related to Saul. And in the passage, when it's, he's speaking, he says, you know my sins. So if, if we're to infer that the entire passage is talking about the future Messiah, we would have to say the Messiah had sin. See, these are the kinds of things that like, start dismantling the minds of a bunch of proud theologians. When you ask them something like Psalm 56, it says that when you die, there's no knowledge of God in the grave. 
Is that true? If you say yes, then you don't believe that we actually go to heaven when we die. Right? This is where Seventh-day Adventists get soul sleep and like all these ideas, right? I don't know if most people are even aware of that. There's a whole host. I can give you 40 scriptures, man, that just isolated. You just go to sleep. You're not in the presence of God. Your spirit doesn't go to heaven. You're just asleep in the dust. 40 scriptures. But that's not the end of the story. There's much more. This is, this, I'll close with this. How do you like a mystery inside of an enigma? Parable within a parable. The book of Matthew, right after that, it talks about the slaughter of the innocents, right? Herod put to death the 2,000 children. And it says that a voice was heard in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children because her children are no more. Go back to the passage in Jeremiah that it's applying to, right? All of the rebellious people under Zedekiah and his tribes of people came to Jeremiah and said, give us, okay, we know that God, we thought you were speaking against us, but now we know that God is with you. Give us the word of the Lord and we will obey. And he's like, okay, so he sat 10 days before the Lord. A prophet had to sit 10 days. Let that sink in, right? So everybody's like, oh, they want an instantaneous word? Even the prophet who was commissioned to do this had to sit 10 days before the Lord. The word of the Lord came to him. He tells them the word, and they're like, no, that's not the word of the Lord. They go running to Egypt. Their children are hunted down exactly like the Lord said. They're slain before his eyes, and his eyes are bored out. We're not in a game. <laughs> All right. This is happening in, in places all over the earth right now. So our Christian bubble is being busted. We have to think about the nature of how things could go. Now, I'm believing for restoration, but I'm telling you, there are wars that are all over, and it's once again about the heart and the knowledge of God. So it says, a voice was heard in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children because her children are no more. Once again, nothing pointing to a future text, nothing saying about in that day, it's just the historical context. And they're saying that it may be fulfilled. So what is the key to this? And I, I want to give an answer, a partial answer to this, because I don't want to leave you hanging with such heavy questions. Um, the nature of prophecy is, is that the spirit of Christ is in us. He lives this example before us. And how he deals with humanity throughout history is like a precedent in law that has been set. And how he deals with humanity, you can see the cycles of it happening. And when you get to know his heart, you can tell the time and the season that we're in. And scriptures that seem to be relating to one context of history, when you look at a present example, the Spirit of God will use scriptures that seem to be out of the context of history and apply it to your present situation. All right? This is deep. There's some things I've been saying, Lord, I don't think I can even, like, I don't even know how to, all I can do is point at it, you know, is... Like when I asked the question a while back in Exodus 17, who are the Amalekites that the Lord is at war with? He said from generation to generation, right? The only way you'd be able to understand who the Amalekites are in the, in the eyes of the Lord doesn't have to do with bloodline. It has to do with the heart condition and the idolatry that they practiced. That's what the Lord is at war with. He's not a bigot. He loves all people. So in the book of Hebrews, it says that those who are being sanctified and are sanctified are as one. In Christ, we are one with him. And what we experience, he experiences. So that literally it's a living reflection of the shadows of things that were, that are, and that are to come.
See, Isaiah, when he said, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me, for we are a sign and a wonder. He was talking about him <laughs> and his children who were named after judgments. But the author of Hebrews says, it's speaking this in regards to Christ and us who are his children. How did he get that understanding? Because the very thing that they say is not true. Well, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. First Peter actually says that the Spirit of Christ was in them. So when he utters that, it's Jesus in Isaiah speaking truth. Those who are being sanctified and are set apart, they are one. And he's not ashamed to call us brethren. So as we begin to enter into prayer and worship team, you can come up. Thank you guys for enduring my hour and 40 minutes. One day, right, we're going to be like, everybody's like, three hours, man, bring it. <laughs> as we engage in prayer for children, I'm asking for our generation to have prophetic vision, an understanding of judicial discretion, a love for God's law, but a love for mercy, a love for justice, to truly be enthroned with Jesus in a way to where we understand our inheritance, what it means to have a love to actually bring about change. A love that speaks the truth even when it's not convenient. You know, yes, a willingness to draw near to people and not be all over them and be like, you just need to know Jesus, you just need to know Jesus, now just repent. Even though there is precedent for that in the Bible. The apostles did it sometimes. But there's also times where they walked with people. That's going to be as the Lord leads you. But this is what, if you want to know what's burning, what I, I just like, the burning of the Lord. All of the things that are happening in our nation with communism and all of the different stuff that's infiltrated everything. There have been people who've been crying out about this, but I tell you what, what is going to win the day is going to be living epistles. Living epistles who are so filled with the knowledge of their God, as it says in Daniel, that they'll do great exploits. That that mountain cut without hands will strike the image and scatter it to the winds. That a judgment made in favor of the saints and them time for them to possess the kingdoms under heaven. See, I, my, I challenge you, do you believe that a nation can be born in a day? That all of the turmoil that we're going through, that there's going to be a turning point. Psalm 46, just at the break of dawn, when all seemed to be perishing, the Lord broke through. Right, when the Lord returned our captivity, we were like those who dreamed and our mouth was filled with laughter and they had to look on and say, look at what the Lord has done for them. When all of this stuff began to take place in 2016, the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to do something in this time period that though it were told to you, no one would believe it. And all who hear, their ears will tingle at what I'm going to do. And trust me, I've been like, what? what? <laughs> I have some idea. Let, let a, ask the Lord for prophetic vision for our leaders. Ask the Lord that judicial discretion would be established in righteousness in our nation, judges, attorney generals, prosecutors. Like I believe one of the greatest takedowns of corruption that we've ever known in human history is about to unfold in our land. And I don't care who thinks I'm weird. But we must rebuild in righteousness can't be the confusion that established the precedent for this garbage. 
Pray that the pedophiles and the occultists are rounded up. Pray that our school boards are cleaned up from the pedophiles and those that are hunting our children and confusing them and taking delight in bringing gender dysphoria so they can label them and make them and mold them what they want them to be. Pray for our children, most of all, that especially those that are growing up in homes where their parents have no sense, that the Spirit of God would encounter them in such a way to where they would be able to see through the lies. I have young kids, I can tell you, man, some of the stuff that they say to me that when I try to bring it up to their parents, they're like, what are you talking about? My kid's talking to you about that? And I'm like, look, I don't even do anything. I'm like, first string, first fret, index finger, and they're like, yeah, do you know on TikTok, there's a kid who's like talking about sleeping with dogs. That spirit of the age that you just watched talk about zoophilia, they're trying to bring that to our children. So I'm going to lead in prayer, and then as you guys begin to enter into worship, is it okay, David, if I open up the mic for people to come up and pray? (laughs) Very good. Voice crying in the distance. (laughs) Yes. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Father, that even though these subjects seem heavy. Lord, I thank you that the realization of how pure and holy and beautiful and glorious you are, that you sat in the heavens, enshrined in the glory of heaven, Lord, that all of the angels worshiped you, all of the saints of heaven worshiped you, and yet you wanted to come down into the midst of the darkness, Lord, that the light shined and a voice Lord, of one crying in the wilderness was saying, make way and prepare for the coming of the Lord. Lord, of the wisdom of the just to prepare a people. Lord, I'm just asking for the spirit of Elijah to sweep in this land. Lord, to restore the altar, Lord, that we worship at. To understand, Lord, our inheritance and the the sons of Israel and what it is that their inheritance is as a prince of God. Lord, that we would be lovers of justice and mercy, Father. That we would be able to impart prophetic vision, Lord, through the wisdom that you give, Lord. And even in simplicity, when we don't know what to say, to just smile and be kind. I thank you that it tears down walls. But I thank you, Father, for a voice who is unashamed and willing to speak unadulterated truth. And I thank you, Father, that all of the blood of the innocents that's crying out to heaven that have been taken in this land and across the globe, I thank you that the day of recompense come upon this land and upon this nation. I pray, Father, that the reality of it is that what we have done and what we have allowed would come to bear upon the conscience of every soul, that this wouldn't be like 911 when the towers went down and they gathered right after and sang Kumbaya and then went right back to their business. Lord, I thank you, Father, that we would be a people who would be struck, Lord, in a place of awe of who you are, and that as we begin to see the victory unfold, Lord, that the sense of kindness and mercy that we don't deserve, Lord, would bring about a people who are like the lepers who had to come back and to glorify you and to thank you. Lord, lift up the leaders and the pastors and those that have been influential gatekeepers, Lord, and ask you to bring humility. Lord, you said in that day, they shall, there shall not be any haughty who dwell upon my holy hill. 
Lord, but those that are meek and humble and who do no unrighteousness and speak no evil thing. That the eyes of the Lord search the earth looking for the righteous to show yourself strong, Lord. And we say, here we are, please, Lord, have mercy upon us and make us vessels of mercy. Make us vessels of truth, Lord. Help us to shine bright, like it says, Lord, against the backdrop of the darkness of this age to be a people who live in the measure and the stature and the glory of Christ Jesus, Lord. Walking in the full inheritance of Jacob, our father, as you said, being restorers of the streets to dwell in. Lord, where children can play safely. Father, where our children are not hunted, where our children are not destroyed and perverted, where our, Lord, the relationships in this land would be brought back to a place of clarity and understanding where your truth is honored. Lord, every minister across this land who has not been willing to open his mouth when the sword has been upon us, I ask you to remove them. Lord, there's always restoration, but I ask you to remove the house of Eli and to raise up, Lord, the house of David, the transfer of the house of Saul to the house of David, and those that know what it is to worship you in spirit and truth, who know your heart, Lord, who are willing to take on the giants of the land. And we just thank you to strengthen those. Lord, we thank you for the human trafficking, the, the, the human trafficking that is being taken down in this present hour. Lord, that all of those that have been, there has been a, not, a historic period of time like we're in right now, Lord, I thank you that Trump initiated that. And I thank you, Father, that those teams that are going out redeeming children from the darkest, cruelest places of this earth, that you would strengthen their soul, that you'd strengthen those, Lord, that are seeing the atrocities to be driven not to take their own life, but to actually contend for the next day, that they may just save one more. Lord, I thank you, Father, for the salvation that is beyond even what we can hope or dream for. I thank you, Father, above and beyond anything that we can hope and dream for. In Jesus' name. I know this is heavy, but these are the times that we live in. It's just the way it is. And Roe versus Wade was overturned. Let me say that again. Roe versus Wade was overturned. That would not have happened without the remnant in America praying for it to happen. 100% guaranteed. If you had a prayer before the Almighty God that little babies wouldn't be aborted in the, in the womb, you had a part to play in children not dying even right now. And there are children that are literally being trafficked into our country, throughout our country. They're being propagandized. They are being told lie after lie after lie after lie. 
And they are being led to the slaughter. They're being taken advantage of. They're being abused. They're being raped. I don't want to say that, but they are. This is the reality of where we are. And we have to take this seriously. If we had a part to play and we could pray that abortion would be overturned, we need to put our shoulder to the wheel on this and pray that the Lord would move in this area in our country. And if we do, He will. I guarantee that He will hear our prayers. It's not comfortable. We're not called to be comfortable. We're called to stand in the gap. We're called to stand in the breach, to make a difference. To If there was a little child, who of us would leave the child sitting there? We have to take it for the moment that it is. We have to take it for the moment that it is. Jesus, I thank you that you take those children by the hand and you, even now, before things are rectified, before before there's systemic uh, fixing of the problems that are systemic, Lord, that you would stand in the gap for each and every one of those children and you would put, as I've been praying, Lord, you'd put your angels round about them that there would be supernatural protection until until our, our country is turned around, Lord. In the meantime, that the enemy would not devour the most innocent and vulnerable people among us. These innocent little people that don't even know the right hand from their left. That you would have mercy on these children, Father. That you would that you would have us to intercede. Help us to be willing to take on the appropriate weight from you as you lead and only but help us to stop shying away from the war that we're in. I thank you for the victory. I thank you that we're gonna win. I thank you that we're gonna win. Thank you. The United States of America is Jesus's. It belongs to him. King Jesus and him alone we give it all to you Lord we ask you that you will make all things new that you will change all the problems Lord you'll fix it you'll bring our country back to you Lord that little children are nourished and ministered to from the from the moment of conception Lord till they're on their own and beyond thank you for purity to reign we thank you for children standing up against the wickedness because they have conviction in their heart because of the Holy Spirit because they've been taught right that they would not fall anymore no more culture of slipping and sliding into depravity like many of us did but that children would have a culture of standing uprightly in the name of Jesus.
want to encourage you to uh, to not be intimidated by our brother Elijah and his wisdom and his depth and his knowledge and his prayers and uh, to not maybe sit and try to like how can I say that or how can I sound like that or how can I speak that I want you to I want to challenge you and encourage you to if if what's in your heart is to come up and, and, and raise your voice before heaven, before the principalities and say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, save our children. Jesus, bring your wisdom to teachers and child protective service workers. and boy, It doesn't have to be complicated. The Lord doesn't need to be impressed, right? I just want to encourage you to, ra- to come and raise your voice. On behalf- you don't have to know everything he knows. I don't know everything he knows, right? But we don't, don't wait for that. Don't feel like it has to look like something, sound like something in order to, for it to be valid before the throne of heaven. So I just want to encourage you to not be silent. Your voice matters. And can you pray from where you are? Absolutely. There's something powerful when we raise our voice out loud as the body and we cry out before our God. He moves. And sometimes he waits for us to do it. And so, Father, I thank you for the cry that's in um, the heart of your people, God, to see justice come, to see children protected, to see the wicked laid waste. But I thank you that you're a God of mercy and that you're a God of justice. And Jesus, I thank you that your blood cries out, that your shed blood, God, to overthrow and to overcome all the works of the enemy, that it cries out for justice. And I pray that we would not be a people who treat your blood like a common thing by being complacent over the things that you died to crush. Father, wake us up. Have mercy on us where we've fallen asleep and been complacent. Let us not be guilty of being silent, of being passive over things that break your heart. God, help us to to move in obedience, to speak and to pray and to learn and and to be engaged regardless of whether we feel the burden or not, but just to know that your heart breaks over abuse and oppression of anyone, particularly an innocent child, God. So I pray that you would stir us up, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, and that you would just just give us the grace to, to offer what we have. To even to not despise the day of small beginnings, Lord. Just for those of us who, those in the room who may not, for all this may be new, they have no clue. Um, just to, to help them to step out, step by step, moment by moment, and just do something. To come before you daily and pray simple prayers, Lord. It's amazing what you do on simple prayers. Father, have mercy, forgive us for where we've been complacent and passive and dismissive and numb to where we've gotten swept up and just overwhelmed in in life or just the constant flood of bad news or whatever. Lord, forgive us and have mercy on us, God. And help us to turn our hearts back to you, to turn our hearts to the things that matter to you, and to just find it a place of honor that you... that the great dignity that you've given us, that you've given to men and to angels, that our actions and our words matter. They help us not to squander the very access that we have to your heart and to your throne, to partner with you, to see your will be done, to see captives set free, 
to see wicked and depraved men and women come to repentance because we prayed for their salvation. Father, I thank you for, um, for all that you've done and all that you're doing to, to bring your trafficking to an end, to bring freedom to captives, God. I thank you for just your heart that you desire that none should perish. Lord, I, I pray that you, would, that you would reach the pedophile, that you would reach the trafficker, that you would apprehend them, Lord, with the gospel. And where they have become masters of perpetrating wickedness and darkness and they have done the enemy's works of stealing, killing, and destroying, that they would be even more zealous, God, for your gospel to see the innocent protected. Pray you raise up an army of warriors of light from, the, from, from trafficking rings, Lord, from pedophile rings, that you would transform them that you would quicken them, that you would set them on fire with love and gratitude for being snatched from the fires of hell, and that you would make them a mighty weapon in your hands for justice in this nation. We thank you that nothing is impossible to you. We thank you that the abomination of Roe versus Wade is overturned in our current country, that that giant is slain, and that there's nothing that you won't do if your people will come before you and cry out. So I thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that nothing, that your arm is not too short to save and you are not unwilling. Raise up an army of intercessors, Lord, to partner with your heart to see your will done. In Jesus' name. So the Lord looks down from the heaven and sees all of man, humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army and a warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A horse, a war horse is not a vain, is a vain hope for victory and by its great might it cannot save. Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those whose hope is in a steadfast love to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Lord, I pray that we not be a nation that just trusts in a leader to rescue us but we hope in you, Jesus. That the enemy has trying to, been trying to silence truth for centuries. But God, when you move, there's nothing. There's no power on heaven, on earth. There's no power in hell. There's no person, no, no idea, no strategy that could ever come against you, God. And so we hope in you, Lord, not hoping in someone else to come and take care of the problem, but we hope in you, trust that you are moving not only in us, but through us. God, as it says, I believe in Romans, that Lord, if, how can someone hear unless, that's, unless they're told? That's so Lord, open our mouths, God, that your truth and your word would be on our lips, it would be on our tongues, it would be shouted from our vocal cords, God.
Lord, I thank you that you have been moving this entire time. God, that as Jonathan said, Roe versus Wade was overturned, but Lord, that was a 49-year battle. And I'm sure in the middle of it, it didn't seem like anything was happening. And as Charles Spurgeon said, Lord, I know that you love him. That God is always doing 10,000 things around us and we are only, we can only see three of them. So Lord, help us to partner with you on the 9,997 other things, Jesus, trusting that you have it in your hands and that you are moving in ways that are that is above politics, that is above uh, ideals, that is above world governments. You are moving in the hearts of men to tear down these idols.
Lord Jesus, just teach us how to cry. Have mercy on us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us in circumstance. circumstance in our life to cry out for, Lord. Open our eyes to see that you will meet us in that place and draw us into a prophetic song and a prophetic prayer, Lord, that shifts atmospheres and changes things and lets earth respond to the cry. Oh, that we would welcome the circumstance of our life and that we would say yes to it and we would cry out instead of shying away. Yes, Lord, teach my heart to cry. Meet me in that place, my King. You are faithful. You are faithful. He's so good. He's so good. You're so good, Lord.
just in the days of Moses where he was hidden, that he was hidden and protected from death, God, that you would that you would move on people to be able to locate, to protect and hide children, Lord, to protect them. God, would you put a wall of fire around them, that they would know your name and that it would be a strong tower for them, Lord, that they would be comforted in the night seasons, that if there's any trauma or nightmares or night terrors, God, that you would come to them in the night, sing them lullabies. God, I just ask for these children that they did not ask for this. God, have compassion upon them. They are afflicted and needy. I just ask, Father, that you would be in their midst. God, I ask for, for encounters of people who actually see that their, their spiritual eyes would be opened and they would see the faces of the ones that are called to protect them, God. I just see spiritual eyes opening and men seeing huge angels around these children and being awed and the fear of the Lord falling upon them. God, would the fear of the Lord fall upon these people who are using these children and abusing these children or causing these little ones to stumble. We know your heart is compassionate and that you want every person to come to you, God. And so we do cry out for their hearts, Lord, to be softened, for their eyes to see. And we ask for your quick justice for those who are hardened. Quick quick justice.
want to pray for those who, followers of Jesus, who are in all spheres actively, actively working to bring justice, who are actively carrying, as Elijah said, the heart of the Father, the love and the mercy of Jesus for children. They are actively going in the darkest and hardest places as lights, bringing children out and exposing darkness in every place. Those who look on unspeakable things, but God, that they keep their gaze fixed on you. Even as they see, none of us, we, we can't shy away. I know even just some of this, it, it, it's so hard for me to hear. It's so hard for me to see. It's not that I don't believe it. It's just, it's, it's so hard to look on it. But God, each of us has a place in this fight for your children. And so God, would you just thank you that you're positioning your people, people who love righteousness and hate lawlessness like you do. In every sphere, in in Hollywood, in education, in government, in, in every sphere, God, would you protect them Would you encourage them and in the secret place, give them wisdom and strategies from heaven. And Lord, that each one of us, whether we are in these ministries or in these places of authority and government, God, each one of us has a role, has a place. And I thank you, God, you are, as a man of war, you are positioning your people as an army, even now. So show us our position. God, some of us who are moving into places of influence and government and and education, and, and I bless those who are doing this. I bless you as lights in dark places. And and those who are called to support, pray for, stand alongside, minister to. Whatever that looks like, ask the Lord and He will show you and position you. So God, I just thank you. I thank you that you are a warrior. You are a man of war. The Lord is your name. And so even as your heart is for mercy and purity and holiness and righteousness, God, you are as a man of war and you are zealous for your children. You are zealous for your children. And so we thank you. We stand on. We stand on your nature and your character. We stand on the word of God. And the word says that when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants learn righteousness. So God, we welcome your judgments. We welcome that we will learn righteousness. So we thank you, God, for what you are doing. Thank you for this company. I thank you for this community that does not shy away and says the hard things and cries and prays and, and acts and moves. So I thank you, God, you will show us even more in the days to come who we are and what is our position 
in your army, O man of war. We bless you. We bless your holy name. Amen.
Lord, I just thank you that every child that is lost, hurt, trafficked, right now has an angel that sees your face. That each child has an angel that has an unblinking gaze at your face. And I ask you to make a way for every trafficked child to escape. And like you did with the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, that you blinded them when they tried to find the house with the, with the two angels. I just ask that you blind every trafficker and every pedophile right now. Just crush the head of the devil in their hearts and make a way for those children. Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.